Ah, it's good to be here. Good to be with you. Um, I was sitting back there and I was just thinking about how much, how much I missed this and you. While we were going through COVID and all those Sundays we were watching online, it was so cool to just online in your pajamas, right? But being here with one another, it's a, it's a difference and it's special. It really is. So good to see you. Well, um, uh, I'm going to do something different today. At least it's different for me. Uh, uh, at least in this kind of setting it is. But anyway, I'm, I'm going to just chat a bit about something that's been on my mind. Instead of having a music stand up here with some notes or my iPad or whatever, I'm, I'm just going to chat with you. One of the things I've noticed over the last 10 years, because it's almost 10 years since I, uh, I retired from full-time pastoral ministry, I, it has given me more time to just think. I like to go out on walks, and I have... Uh, People in my life who love podcasts and are constantly giving me podcasts to listen to. And sometimes they'll feel guilty that I don't put a podcast on when I go walking. But I don't want to most of the time. I just like to think about stuff. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you, and I'm not 100% sure where this is going, which doesn't mean I don't have a game plan in place, but uh, I'm going to talk to you about one of the things I've been thinking about, and that just keeps stirring around and more and more becoming, a, becoming focused for me, okay? Um, and it's about this book. But let me introduce it this way. Let me take you back to the mid-70s. Raise your hand if you were not even born by 1976. Yeah, you grubby little kids. Anyway, uh, back, to, back to that time. In 1976, a woman by the name of Rosalind Rinker wrote a book that got really noticed by the Christian community in, in that day. We're talking almost 50 years ago, do the math, right? Became very popular. Um, and uh, particularly I found, uh, as I was pastoring, uh, women's groups latched onto it first and would use it to, to, to chat. And then it became fodder for small groups, small groups, and of course individuals too. The book was called conversational prayer. And it was considered a, a breakthrough in the sense that you know, a lot of the thinking, not, not even on not intentional, you know, how some of this goes around. You know, there were certain people who knew how to pray and there were certain people who didn't know how to pray. Okay? I think to some extent that's around today. She wrote this wonderful book about Basically, I mean, you can tell from the title. Just have a chat with God. Okay? God isn't hung up with the words you say or the way you say them. You know, basic theme, but a whole book. And by the way, uh, you can buy the book. Still, you can go on Amazon. I went. I did a search. There's a copy, but they only got one left. 
And it's, it's a new paperback, and it's yours for 89 bucks plus tax. Uh, so, you know, there you go. Anyway, conversational prayer. Um, and then I was thinking this week about the gathering we had after church last week. Emily used the word meeting for it, and that's what we call it to get there. I've been at a lot of congregational meetings. That wasn't a meeting. It's what I loved about it. It was a conversation. It was a congregational conversation. We shared thoughts. We shared ideas. Uh, we laughed. Um, you know, there wasn't any crying that I was aware of, but, you know, uh, we had... We had a really wonderful time together, and we never heard the words moved, seconded, and carried. We didn't hear those. Gosh, that's a refreshing congregational gathering for me. All right? But it was conversational again. And here's, here's where I'm going. I'm going to invite you today to think about the Bible as a conversation in a number of ways. But I want you to think, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna invite you to think of the Bible as a conversation between God's people and God. Not just God saying, here. Okay? The preacher says, I've said it, I will never say it again. The Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. That's not where I'm going. Here, people of God, have a conversation together. That, to me, has become the way I view the Scriptures. And what I found is that the Scriptures themselves are a conversation. There are sometimes different points of view in Scripture. One is meant to push against the other, perhaps. It's like like we would do in a conversation, might push against another. I'll give you the, 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 the quick one because it's the easiest one, um, and that's the book of Jonah and the book of Nahum. Now, the book of Nahum, both are called minor prophets. The book of Nahum is very brief, and it's all about God hates those daggone Ninevites, those Assyrians, they're wicked, cruel people, and he's going to utterly destroy them. Okay, then comes Jonah, and the book of Jonah is about this prophet, remember? God says, comes to him, and he says, Jonah, go to Nineveh, and uh, tell the people in Nineveh to repent. And remember, Jonah flees in the opposite direction, because one, he can't believe he's hearing from God. You know, God's supposed to be just Israel's God, nobody else's God, God cares about Nineveh, and by the way, by the end of the book of Jonah, he still hasn't gotten over it. But the book of Jonah is meant to push back against books like and thinking like Nahum. Okay? Doesn't mean one's right and one's wrong. It means a conversation is being had. And the Jewish people understood that, okay? When they put their book together, it was okay 
to have counterpoints, if you will, in there. But another one that I want to focus on today and just see if I can walk you through it a bit and, and hopefully uh, I don't get boring, but it, it is, uh, I, I want you to see something that's in the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy has more than we're going to talk about today in it. But book of Deuteronomy is one of the most significant books in the Old Testament. It's called the book of the law. When in the New Testament, references are made to the law. It's the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, but its focus is on Deuteronomy. Always the focus is on Deuteronomy, uh, the book of Moses. It's written from the perspective of, uh, of, of Moses, all right? And here's the setup. I'd be very quick. You remember the story. Uh, the Hebrew people are in slavery in Egypt, right? They're in slavery for like 40 years. Moses comes along, hears God's call, goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. Ten plagues later, Pharaoh says, okay, get out of here. You can go. The people start marching out. And remember the story? Pharaoh changes his mind. His army comes after uh, the people, they come to the Red Sea, the Red Sea parts, and they go through on dry ground. And when the Egyptian army goes in there, boom, clap, right? That's the story. Then they're in what's called uh, the Sinai Peninsula today, but they're, they're in the wilderness. They're in the wilderness, and the idea is they're going to the promised land. That's basically today's Israel. They're going to the promised land. That's where they're headed. And Moses, there's some st other stuff, but Moses gets them to the edge of the promised land there to go in. And remember, he sends spies in, and most of the spies come back and say, man, those people there, we can't take them. We can't go in. We can't claim the lame land. And so the people, instead of listening to Moses, listen to their own hearts, and God says, okay, you're not going in. This generation has to die off before we're going in, okay? And a generation was considered 40 years. So for 40 years, they wander in the wilderness. And now they've come once again uh, to the edge of the promised land. It's time to go in. Moses can't lead them. Moses and God had their own deal, if you remember. So Moses isn't going to be able to lead them. Joshua's going to lead them. But Moses, their leader, now he's at, the, he's at the end of it. He's at the end of his leadership journey. And over the 30-some chapters of Deuteronomy, he says the last that he wants to say to the, children of, to the children of Israel. Okay? For instance, he reminds them of their history. He reminds them of their history. Remember... A generation has died off. He reminds them of his history. In fact, in one place, he says to them, remember when you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb. That's Mount Sinai. Remember when you stood? If you can imagine the audience, say, but, 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 but we didn't stand there. That was our grandparents and our parents. We didn't stand there. This is a part of Judaism. Moses' answer would have been, yes, you did. We're in this together. 
And this story is your story now and forever. To this very day, that's a part of Judaism in many of its circles. So the Holocaust didn't just happen to my grandparents. It happened to us. So uh, I have been to Israel a number of times, and I've climbed a, a place called Mount Arbel. It's right by the Sea of Galilee. And I've climbed that uh, a half dozen times probably. And almost every time, there's a group of school kids. And I would say middle school. Almost every time. There's a, either going up or coming down. There's a group. Of, and I guarantee you, because Mount Arbel is also a place where there's caves. And when the Romans came in to destroy Jerusalem and Judaism, there were people who hid in those caves, 70 A.D., uh, and there was a slaughter in those caves, just a, a holocaust of a sort. Those children will be taught, either on the top of our bell, our bell on the bottom, they will be given two words. Never forget. Never forget. Why? Because this story and the stories before it, they're your story. They're our story. So Moses, in the book of Deuteronomy, he reviews their history, reminds them of their story. He includes in that the Ten Commandments again and, you know, the law. And he says, he says the line, the, the line, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Jesus was quoting the Old Testament when he said that. Uh, okay, he, he does that. And then I'm going to take you to uh, chapter 7 and then chapter 11 briefly. And I, I hope you'll, you, you just won't lose me. Just stay with me as I read this. But I want you to see one of the major themes. I think maybe it is the major theme of the book of Deuteronomy. Remember, Moses is speaking to the people and he's speaking to the people in his final days Kind of like Jesus with the disciples on the night before the cross. When you speak, you say the things that are most important for you to say when you know you're about to die. Okay? This is Moses. So Moses says to them, after reviewing their history, and he does that again later, and, and reminding them of the law that they're to, that they're to live by, he says to them in uh, chapter 7, verse 11, he says, Therefore, take care to follow the commandments, decrees, and laws I give you today. If you pay attention to these laws, here it comes now, if you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep his covenant of if you obey. Don't miss that key word. It's all through the Old Testament. If, 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 if you obey, then the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love with you as he swore to your ancestors. He will love you, and here's a key word. He will bless you and increase your numbers. 
He will bless the fruit of your womb, the crops of your land, your grain, new wine and olive oil, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks in the land that he, will, that he swore to your ancestors to give you. You will be blessed more than any other people. None of your men or women will be childless, nor any of your livestock without young. In other words, if you obey, if you do as you've been instructed to do, and the main thing that had to do with, by the way, was not following other gods, because that, 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 that the first commandment leads to all the other stuff getting broken as far as the ten are concerned. Worship no other gods but me. If you obey, if, then. Okay? If, you will be blessed. But hear it this way from chapter 10 as Moses continues. He says, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. The curse, if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn from the way that I command you today by following other gods. Do it right, you get blessed. Do it wrong, you get cursed. Blessings and curses I give you this day. Okay, so that became one major theme of, uh, of the Old Testament. As you can guess, there are always people with something like that who take it to its logical extreme, right? Well, the logical extreme is, if you're having a tough time, it must be because you're disobedient. A curse is upon you. Man, if, if you're wealthy, if everything's going fine, if you're having baby after baby after baby, you must be obedient. Your flocks are thriving. Wow, you're being blessed by God because of your obedience. That, that's to take that to its logical extreme. And I believe that the Bible itself, the Old Testament and the New pushes back on that extreme, okay? The first place it pushes back on that extreme that I can find, probably others, but the, the first that you'll be familiar with is the character of Job. Remember Job? Many of you remember that story. If not, go read the story. Uh, it's 40 chapters long. It happens to be some of the best literature ever written in the history of the world. If you just read it as a literature, it is astounding. Remember the story of Job. Job is this upright and righteous man, the most upright and righteous man among the living in the land of us. That's him. And Satan comes to God, and basically to make a longer story short, you, 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 let, me, you let me work on, say, on Job, and let's see if he remains faithful to you. I mean, you've blessed him. He's got all this land. He's got all this cattle. He's got seven sons, three daughters. He's got a summer home. In fact, kids are over there uh, now playing and partying. Uh, you, you, you let me at Job. And we'll see what happens. And so if you remember the story, uh, 
Job's um, his sons and his daughters are all killed in a calamity at the summer home that they're at, and his flocks all die. And, and I mean, he is just dead. He's got his wife left, and uh, uh, she's sort of encouraging, but she also wonders if he should if he shouldn't curse God and die. He wonders actually if he shouldn't just curse God and die. All right. A couple of friends come by and they tell him, Job, just repent. Just repent. The problem's got to be your sin. And Job says, basically, Job's response is, but, but I'm upright and righteous. Okay? I, I don't deserve this. And he didn't, based on that criteria. He was a good, 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 good man, right? Why do bad things happen to good people? Great conversation to have. Job decides to have that conversation with God. So he brings his case to God, and uh, he is not happy with God. I mean, he lays, I mean, he, he, he's angry, and he expresses that anger, uh, and God absorbs it. And Job and God have a conversation. You ought, you ought to read it. It's, it's incredible. And in the midst of it, God reminds Job that uh, he's God, and well, Job's a mere mortal. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't know what God knows. Uh, he hasn't seen God do all that God has do has done. You know that beautiful song we, we uh, read about the uh, saying about the moon and the stars show you, the, uh, you know, that kind of thing. He just, and at the end uh, uh, Job's God's answer to Job as to why there was no answer. But God did come alongside of Job, let him vent, let him talk, let him be, remind him of God's own power. Okay? I'd suggest to you that the book of Job is a pushback against that, ex that extreme you can take. Uh, if you obey, I will bless you. If you don't obey, I will curse you. It's to speak back against that and say, well, wait a minute. That may be true in parts, but maybe it's also, maybe it's also sometimes not true, as was the case with Job. And then, to keep this line of thought going, uh, you can go into the New Testament. I mean, why not? I have it right here. Uh, you can go into the New Testament. You can go to a story... In John, I think it's chapter 9. John chapter 9, uh, where Jesus is on the road and uh, a blind man comes up to Jesus, wants to be healed. And immediately, the book says, Jesus' disciples said, Master, who sinned? He or his parents? I mean, he's blind. Somebody sinned here. Who sinned? <laughs> they were operating under that if something bad happens, 
It must be somebody's fault. We could have a good conversation about randomness in the midst of this. But get the point? That's what they're absorbed in. And Jesus says no. I mean, he says no to them. Then he says that this, I'm paraphrasing, this is because God's about to show his power, his glory, and Jesus heals the man, and that's God using the circumstance to show who he is in the world. That was Jesus' take on it. But the important part to me is the question and the just immediate from Jesus, no. Neither he nor his parents sinned. Another passage in the uh, Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, there's this, uh, 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 Jesus talks about some jump, coming judgment and that sort of thing. That's what he ends chapter 12 with. He comes to chapter 13, and, and just listen to this a minute. Now, there were some present at that time, present as Jesus was speaking about judgment, now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. In other words, Pilate, they're telling him, went into the temple while worshipers were giving sacrifice. He killed them and he mixed the blood. I mean, ooh, this is, for Jews, this is, uh, this is a really bad thing. It would be for you and me too, wouldn't it? But it's a really bad thing. And uh, so that's what happened. And what the point they're making is they're saying they deserved it, didn't they? You know, what about them? Okay. And Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? Jesus says, I tell you No. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were guilty, guilt, more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. <laughs> I love the way Jesus uh, just turns it off on them and says, hey, you know, you've all sinned. You all need to repent. Don't be so worried about somebody else. But do you, do you get the point? Tragedies happen. Two tragedies happen. The tragedies are brought to Jesus for his comment because the people are wondering, even thinking, this happened because those Galileans did something to offend God those workers on the tower did something to offend God. Therefore, they're dead. And Jesus said what? I tell you no. Not maybe. I tell you no. Now, I'll, I'll get done, okay? I got more, but I'll get done right now, all right? So here, here's the point. Uh, you know, as you yourself are dealing with the Bible, studying the Bible, uh, think less of it 
Think less of, well, it's a, it's a book from which I'm going to get doctrines, positions I can stand on so I can defend the Bible and defend God. Okay, first place, if God needs defending, he, he, he's a pretty weak God, maybe not worth defending, all right? But instead, that this is a conversation God's inviting me into, and I don't have to always have all the answers. When I, when I read a passage like in uh, the book of Joshua, I read this, I, you know, where God tells Joshua to go in and kill all the people of Jericho, even, their, even the children slam their heads against a rock. And if I stand back and say, I, I, that just, uh, I don't know about that. I, I'm not so, I don't know about that. I mean, my New Testament says that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Okay? The Word became flesh in Jesus. We say God became flesh in Jesus. Okay. So does what I see in the Jesus story, how does that mesh with? What might that say to the Joshua story? And you have a conversation about it. And wouldn't it be nice to have conversations like that, about that kind of stuff, in just safe places? <laughs> Where nobody's going to say, oh, you don't believe the Bible. Or whatever. Be nice. One of the things I love about us here at Renew, there's space, safe space here to do it. And so he didn't ask me to do it, but I'll do it anyway and give you a commercial, Aaron, for the class he's going to teach on the Bible. Okay. If you've been to it, come again. If you haven't, Make the time to do it. It is rich, rich stuff. It'll enable you to do some fresh thinking. I mean, there's something wrong with that. Is there anything wrong with that? Huh? Doing some fresh thinking about things? Thanks be to God. Let's pray.